I think I'm having an art attack. What's up, everybody, and welcome to another episode of Art Attack with art historian extraordinaire Lizzie Daston and myself, Justin Bua. And today we are sitting here on Main Street at Beyond the Streets with our first guest ever. Oh, so exciting. Amazing, Roger Gassman. And let me just tell you, first of all, welcome. Thank you. And uh, Roger and I, we were supposed to do this interview last week, but you got food poisoning. I did. What, what did you eat, first of all? We had, this is the most important question. I don't even remember where I was the night before. This three months here has uh, been a blur. I couldn't tell you where I was last. Uh, yeah, I guess I could tell you where I was last night. It's been a blur. I've you been do here, not remember what kind of food you ate. I don't even remember. I've been here 14 to 20 hours a day for the last three months, and uh, half the food I eat is what someone hands me as I keep walking. Okay, so you got sick and your girlfriend got sick, and now we are here. We're here. And we're actually sitting in this room uh, in one of the gallery spaces, and there's Futuras on the wall. I mean, this is exciting shit. Jason revoked, revoked stuff, right? Oh, yeah. I mean, it's Big heavy. fan of his. And it's pretty majestic to be in this space. And for anybody who hasn't come to see the show, I highly recommend it. And I was lucky enough to be in L.A. in 2011 to see the Art in the Street show. And I know that Roger was instrumental in curating that exhibition alongside Jeffrey Deitch. And I'm really interested. And Aaron Rose. And Aaron Rose. Awesome. And I'm interested in how this piece or how this show emerged from that first one and what you learned from Art in the Streets and how Beyond the Streets is an extension of that. Art in the Streets was an incredible experience. It was much more of a historical show than Beyond the Streets is. Since Art in the Streets, the culture has continued to get bigger and bigger and bigger. So many times I wonder myself and I get asked. This is perfect, by the way. There's a fucking train in the background. It's perfect. We are in the streets right now giving this interview, <laughs> and that is the loudest sounding train ever. So this is, it's just giving ambiance as a background to your amazing dialogue. I pay them to come by. <laughs> um, Art in the Streets was great, but it, it was so much more of a historical show. Uh, and the culture just continued to get so much bigger and bigger. And I kept wondering when it was going to break. You know, when's the bubble burst in? And it didn't. It got bigger. There was more work on the street. Everyone all of a sudden was being called a street artist, which was a bullshit term to most people at this point because they haven't done illegal work. You're not a street artist if you've done work for three months, six months, a year. You could have started when we did Art in the Streets and constantly been working on the street. Mm-hmm. You Six, seven years later, you will just start to be getting respect from older artists. You know, you have to put in so much work. So I kept seeing that, and I really realized that we need to educate people because it doesn't matter if you're an art historian, if you're a teacher, if you're a lawyer, if you're an art collector, or, uh, you know, the general public. Uh, you can all be super, super smart, but if you don't know what the difference between graffiti, street art, and murals are, that's fine, because why would you have ever learned that? So with a show like this, so much of what we wanted to do was education through entertainment. Vandalism is contemporary art. Contemporary art is vandalism. Depends on how you want to spin it. Speaking of this distinction between graffiti and street art, that's something that Justin and I have discussed previously. What do you think separates graffiti culture from street art? 
Well, most graffiti artists will tell you that they want to go beat up all straight artists. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, I heard. And not that they only want to, that they often do. Um, you know, graffiti is about writing your name over and over again for the sake of fame, for the most part. It's very ego-driven. It's me, me, me. Of course, there's beautiful murals, there's characters, there's all of that. But graffiti at its core, at its true roots, is writing your name over and over again for the sake of fame. Bigger, better, louder, and more in your fucking face than the next guy. Uh, it's not doing a beautiful mural under a bridge that no one sees over and over. Of course, that's an element of it, but you mature to that element of it. You're not going to have respect as a graffiti writer if you haven't done the ego part of it by your peers. Mm -hmm. That is 100% accurate. Mm -hmm. Street art is more about images, wheat pasting, stenciling, stickering, and other means of getting your message out. And it's Take an example, you go do an image of a dog or a duck and you go to put up a stencil of it or sticker of it or a wild posting of it in a one square mile radius for six months. Most people in the neighborhood are probably going to think it's cute, it's adorable, oh, look at that and take a photo of it. You could be a graffiti writer for a dozen years in that area and you're just a fucking vandal. Um, No one wants to do anything with you, but all of a sudden I want to put that duck or that dog on a t-shirt. I want to hang it on a canvas in the coffee shop, et cetera, et cetera. So not all street art is like that, of course, but since street art has become a trend, that is where it's gone. So in a sense, I was really mad at that. Now I've completely accepted that, and that's the only way the culture is going to expand, and I love seeing work on the street. Most of it's done legally at this point that I see that gets called street art, um, and it pulls from the tool chest of the graffiti artist and the street artist. So now let's just get out there and educate people on what's what. There's the train again, guys. Uh, So a lot of the work in here that I see, and you told me earlier before we sat down that a lot of this work was created here for the show, right? A lot of the work not necessarily was created in this building, Uh but some of it was, but most all of the work in this show, well, let's go back. 100% of the work in this show is directly from the artists Mm -hmm. or the artist's estates. There's no funky loans. There's no secondary market stuff. Everyone knows that they're in the show, why they're in the show, and is excited to have what work is in here represent them, unlike so many of these larger group shows based around graffiti and street art, where it's just pulled from a few collections and work is often taken out of context. And then I'd say about 75% of the work in this show was created for this show or was pulled from historical um, photography, et cetera, for this show uh, to fit into where we're at. That was the most exciting part for me as a nerdy historian. I love that you had all of those posters and original mm. photographs from the streets in New York in the, the 80s. And seeing the Reagan administration and seeing a work by Al Diaz, that was just so exciting to me. And I'm really glad that you maintained that historical context because that's where everything else that's come since, that's really where it started. So I think that that, for me, was the most successful part of your show. And I love the way that you distinguish the graffiti culture from street art. And I know that you wrote your own graffiti, right, back in Bethesda? 
What? Yeah, well, that, that's a question that yeah, I have as well. What was your work like, and why aren't you in the show? I want to step back um, <laughs> to what you were talking about with historical. Well, if, let's pretend there's 100 exhibits in the show. There roughly are, give or take a few. Every 10th exhibit, it was important for us to do something more ephemeral or something more historical to remind you where you are or root you of where you are. But we really wanted to, again, make sure that we're not making this show only look historical, or not look historical, only a historical show. You know, so many of these artists are working now. Our criteria was you have to have an active studio practice. You have to be active and out there. Of course, we broke that rule a few times with a few people, and that is more, again, in the historical or ephemeral areas. But if you were awesome on the street in any given city, 1984 to 1992, and didn't really go on to do much of a studio practice, and that's not your occupation, as much as I might prefer seeing what you did on the street versus anything in this show, that's not their criteria of the show. So that's uh, an easy misconception or thought of, well, why is this here? Why isn't this here? Because it's not a historical show in, in that route. Uh, and then we also really used the word beyond, going back to some of what we were talking about earlier. While everyone in the show has a true history and respect from their peers for the most part of really being busy on the streets illegally, there's still then a good selection of people that don't have that history on the streets illegally. Mm -hmm. Sitting behind me is Ben Jones. Well, he was a graffiti writer in Boston in the 90s for a little bit. He saw Style Wars in the <laughs> fourth grade, and it changed his life. From seeing Style Wars and it changed in his life, he did a thing called Paper Rad, which some of you might know about. He ended up you know, making zines, videos, all kinds of things, often so much with the whole mark maker, rule breaker, we're gonna do this on our own attitude of the graffiti artist, the street artist, remain friends with a lot of them, has shown with a lot of them, and he fits the perfect aesthetic and attitude of people in this show. Ron Finley, the gangster gardener, is, has a great garden right when you walk in the show. Ron Finley was not on the streets with a can of spray paint. Ron Finley was out there teaching people that you should be able to grow and eat your own fruits and vegetables no matter where you live. Don't worry about it if you have X area zone to do it. Just fucking do it, mm. et cetera. And his attitude, again, highly fits the graffiti artist and the street artist. Uh, Marikami's in the show. He is not a graffiti artist, not a street artist, but he loves graffiti and street art. And he's been highly pushing the culture the last few years from showing artists at his gallery, Kaikiki, writing about it on his social media, et cetera. So when you get someone of that stature pushing the culture, they deserve to be put in with people of that culture. And Jenny Holzer, too. I was really surprised and delighted to see her work in the show. Jenny Holzer is not talked about in this um, arena that much anymore, but Jenny Holzer starts off with her truisms on the streets of New York in the late 70s through the mid 80s. And those truisms, so many of them still ring true to this day. Um, she did a lot of collaborative paintings with graffiti artists in the 80s too. We show one in here with A1. She did several with him, she did several with Pink and other people also. So those aren't new works of hers, but the truisms are still almost as true today as they were then. It's fresh work to most people in this show. Sitting there watching people read them is awesome. And then showing an old work of hers with A1, and then we have a bust from John Ahern, a plaster bust of A1's face, staring down on the painting that he made in the mid-'80s. Uh, and A1 is unfortunately deceased now, so it's kind of a nice moment. There's a lot of moments like that through the show of connection that if you know 
you know. If you don't know, you probably don't know, and also I'm giving you a tour. I mean, guys, you have to come down to check this out yourself because without context, you have no idea what the fuck we're talking about. But if you're a fan of street art, uh, graffiti, and just what's going on in the contemporary art scene, 1667 Main Street, North Main Street, downtown and uh, here in L.A., in what looks like the shabbiest, craziest, most industrialized part of L.A., uh, where the cornfields used to be. I don't know if you remember those cornfields back in the days. Yo, this place has changed tremendously. There's jujitsu studios around here uh, that I've been to. I mean, this place has become gentrified to a certain extent. It is, but, and I'm sure we're part of that problem. Roger, are you? <laughs> what is your background? What's your nationality? Um, are you Jewish? I'm, uh, yeah, I'm Jewish by birth, Don't, I guess. But you sound really so been, like I'm upset. So disappointed. You're so disappointed no, in I'm your not Jewishness. Disappointed. Please don't be disappointed. <laughs> I'm not disappointed. Respect the tribe. I respect. You look. You have a like a Hasidic tone and intonation when really? you talk. You kind of daven. You don't what? realize that. He does. He really? has a, I yes. See that. Okay. Listen, my mom's Jewish. My dad's Puerto Rican. So I'm a Jew Rican from New York. I see the Jew in you, and I don't think there's anything to be ashamed of. I'm not, I'm not ashamed of it. Okay, but you, you, you were a little like, yeah, I'm Jewish, but there was a but, a conjunction right after. It's okay. I've never She's been practicing. Oh, that's okay. Yeah. If there's a roundup, you're gone. Yeah, you know I'm what done. I mean? We're all gone. This room, yeah. Manny will stay. He's Mexican. Uh, I will just tell them I'm 100% Puerto Rican and not Jewish whatsoever. I don't know what you're talking about. Please take them away. But you guys were all part of the tribe. So you have that, that Jewish kind of intellectual, cultural energy. As a kid, what, tell me about your experience, because I know that you grew up in D.C., uh, did you, was it one of those things where you were like, yo, when you first saw hip hop, I just have to be a part of it. What, how did you get attracted to graffiti and that culture? Like what pulled you in? I grew up, um, in Bethesda, Maryland in the late eighties, early nineties, uh, a couple miles outside of DC. Uh, in the early nineties, I started going down to DC all the time. Uh, probably 90, 91, I started going to shows at the 930 Club uh, and other places. I was into punk rock and hardcore. Um, I had absolutely no interest in anything hip-hop related. Mm-hmm. Um, you, you, were, know, you were kind of an iteration of the Maryland Beastie Boy type of Jew. You could say that, yeah. <laughs> um, you know, very quickly at all the shows I was going to, everyone was writing. And I very, very quickly realized that, oh, kids are going to hardcore shows and punk rock shows, and they also write on crap. That's what you do. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, I started learning about the culture pretty early. Uh, I had a bunch of friends that were a little older than me that I knew through the shows. I started traveling. I'd be visiting a family member in X city. Uh, they would connect me with a graffiti writer in that city. I'd start trading photos with them. So by 93, 94, I had a pretty interesting network of friends around the country that I was trading photos with before I'd even graduated high school. Um, we were going out in the middle of the night doing all kinds of things we weren't supposed to. I was on tour with friends, bands, doing uh, things I wasn't supposed to in other cities, and again, making more and more connections. By 94, I'd been in LA painting out here, um, from the Motor Yard to Venice to you name it, and I met a lot of the guys from MSK, AWR, Mm -hmm. uh, a lot of them that are in this show today Mm -hmm. that I stayed friends with, you know, a lot that were a couple years older than me again, that luckily I became friends with, started trading photos, and, you know, kept a relationship for 25 years going, which seems um, so strange to say. Um, the first time I heard anybody talk about breakdancing, I was in Chicago and probably, 
1993 at a THC loft party um, with Agent and Trickster and all these other guys. And they're like, do you break? And I was like, what the fuck are you talking about? <laughs> break what? Shit? <laughs> yeah. And uh, that was the first time I experienced that culture. And it was uh, nice and different to see, but I never identified with it. Mm-hmm. Um, to me, graffiti always was about graffiti. Um, especially how I came up through graffiti with the kids I, that uh, were more into punk rock and hardcore. They never claimed graffiti as part of their culture. Graffiti was just something of what they were doing. Um, so something I always get really angry at is when people claim graffiti is only hip-hop because graffiti was around and there was generations of graffiti writers sure. before anyone's doing anything with hip-hop we have graffiti like that on the walls in here Mm -hmm. proving that actually in the book for the show we have this massive 500 page catalog we did which is kind of designed like a magazine we probably have like a 15,000 word essay on graffiti and music Mm -hmm. through the years and it really covers you know from hip-hop to punk rock to hooky parties in new york in the early 70s when kids are listening to salsa to Philly, to the social clubs, to the music they have going on, to Jocko Henderson, um, who the Philly guys claim is the true first rapper, um, on and on. So uh, graffiti is very important, and I really look at its own culture that has been inspired by so many different pieces of music and styles of music through the years. But I guess you could look at, in a sense, so many different kinds of art and say something similar. So I I guess that's, yeah. Go ahead, Lizzie. No, I was just going to say I went off on a tangent. No, that's okay. (laughs) It was a great tangent. Ah, Justin. (laughs) So when he fixates on something, it Mm -hmm. just happens over and over. So uh, be prepared for that. That's okay. I think that the connections between visual art and music is really fascinating. And for me, I can trace that back in my classes to people like Kandinsky or Dove and how the sounds that they were listening to when they were painting or just in their lives that they visually imprint on the canvases. And so I just think it's really cool that this is a contemporary iteration of something that is more historical, that people should write more about. And it's great that you are, that you're extending that conversation in the way that you do. That was one of the, we have a few essays in the book that are super nerdy like that. Mm-hmm. And that was one of my favorite ones. We could have done a hundred thousand word a book just on that. I don't think I'll get there, but we could have. <laughs> we can do it together. I, I, what, what you said about graffiti is is so true too, because you know, growing up in New York City, uptown, uh, going to school on 137th Street and Common Avenue, being an early adapter of hip hop and graffiti. Mm-hmm. Like graffiti to us, it was like I was a b boy and a popper primarily, but I I wrote graffiti. I mean, you had to like you had to you had to pop, you had to break, you had to write graffiti. Um, all of the elements of hip-hop. You had to DJ, you had to MC. It was just part of, like, your neighborhood mm-hmm. rites of passage. You had to do it all. So it was all in alignment. But if you really look at, like, what was going on, the real graffiti writers, or a lot of the graffiti writers were white. They were white guys. And a lot of them didn't even come from hip-hop whatsoever. A lot of them were, mm-hmm. you know, intellectual Jewish kids. They were kids from, uh, you know, that were hanging out in West 4th Street who were coming uptown to the monument and writing graffiti. There were all these white guys, you know what I mean? That was like a separate culture. The band shell, that's the fountain. Yeah, the band shell. I mean, so it was a whole completely, and I, I agree with you on, I always say that, that graffiti is its own thing. It has its own lineage, its own legs. And even though it was part of hip hop, of course, it can't be claimed by hip hop because it was really on its own uh, evolutionary trajectory from the get go. 
and uh, I really feel like I witnessed the, you know, those nascent moments <laughs> myself. Good words. Thank you. I use nascent a lot. He so does. It's, it's really, really cute. That good. Oh, uh, I take but, that back. <laughs> but no, but I, but I agree. And um, you know what, what we're talking about the evolutionary trajectory of this, you know, language, I find it so interesting now. I feel like instead of graffiti kind of, it, it's going to another dimension, but at the same time, I feel like it's starting to adapt the, the history and the culture of contemporary art. I mean, when I look around the room, I see a lot of like, this could be in the Broad, this could be at the Mocha. I see a lot of contemporary art uh, influences. I don't know if it's Kuhn's or Rauschenberg or de Kooning or Diebenkorn, but I just feel like there's an energy of it, an essence, uh, like a, almost a chemical essence that's coming to me that I'm smelling a lot of that. Tell you, me about that. You're right. Uh, you know, this show is big. This show is 35,000 square feet inside um, alone. S the ceilings are 30, 40 feet in some of the rooms. You know, it's fucking big. Outside, you don't just randomly walk in. There's a full-size handball court you can play. There's a garden. There's sculptures. You know, there's 10,000 square feet outside you walk into. When you exit, there's the exact same thing. So we really wanted to create, in a sense, a new museum experience. Um, I've done several museum shows since Art in the Streets, which have all been great, and some have been the bigger shows that the spaces have had. Uh, but in the end, there were still so many rules that you had to follow. And while we're good at following rules, I feel like it's way better when we make the rules and do the shows ourselves. So the whole idea was really just create a new experience, treat each artist as it's their own show, treat each wall you're looking at as its own piece that's being viewed, make sure you be really careful of the sight lines, really careful of what art is hanging next to each other because it helps represent and tell the story and make sure that every corner and every inch and every hallway is just of a valuable of a lesson and story and visually appeasing. Um, that's a horrible word. Um, as everything else is in the show. And if you walk around the show and really start looking, you'll see that. Cue <laughs> train. Thank you so much. I know, so exactly. Much. That was very well-timed. One... Uh, to interrupt you, but yes, a lot, a lot of the artists in this show have been in museums, have been in those galleries, and are influenced by those artists you're talking about. Mm -hmm. Or today's very well-known modern artists that are in those museums are collecting and influenced by a lot of the people in this show. Mm -hmm. Right, and so that dialogue that almost exchange, that energetic exchange, I think you do a really nice job of showcasing. And I remember when I saw the Mocha show that the only criticism I had was that it seems like because of the space that the art had to accommodate and fit into the pre-existing space. And it almost seems like you have swapped that narrative and the space accommodates the art that you've created. And I love that. I think that's so much more appropriate for the genre that you are showcasing. Thank you. Well, part of the reason we were able to do that is because we weren't pulling mostly historical works. Well, of course, the Mocha show, there were definitely works made for that show, so I don't want to make it seem like it wasn't. And it was very important to pull those historical works for that show, because without that show, we wouldn't be here. You know, I feel like Roger is the Leo Castelli, the Gagosian of the street art world. Yeah, I can so, see that. Right? Am Definitely. I, not, I mean, like, I would he's say... He's such a tastemaker. Hmm, he's a tastemaker, and I feel like if you really 
fancy yourself a, a great street artist or a great graph writer, which has become a very viable movement unto itself and is, and is soon to make its way into Jansen and Gardner art history books, there's no doubt that it will. I think that we can say that you will probably be one of the main components of being responsible for that. How does that make you feel? Like, do you like the comparative, uh, the comparison of Gagosian or Costelli that you're able to make or break people's career? And I'm sure, uh, this is a two-part question. That's number one. Number two is, is that a lot of responsibility? Do you feel like you're going to break hearts? You're going to fuck lives up or you're going to make, make lives? Because I think that really you have that power to do that. Thank you. I'm definitely fucking more lives up than I'm making, probably, <laughs> especially my own. Uh, you know, even putting together, you know, a show like this, again, dealing with all of these different personalities. Um, Who's the hardest person you've had to work with? Uh, Come on, be honest. It's, it's fine. You. Yeah, I was going to say, say me, Justin. Besides me. Uh, <laughs> easy, that's an easy answer, though. No, but I, what, the, the, the overarching thing I need to remember is almost everyone in this show comes out of a culture rooted in illegal activity, mm-hmm. rooted in stealing your supplies, mm-hmm. going out at night, lying to your parents, lying to your girlfriends, getting into fight, <laughs> lying to your boyfriend, whatever it is, you know. Lies. And just, exactly. It's lies. It's deceiving the police. Mm-hmm. And it's then about ego. So those are the things I always need to remember because the artists, while I'm not, they're not doing that in the studio at this point, mm-hmm. there's still always a little bit of that, you know, sitting on their shoulder that mm-hmm. is yeah, saying bravado. something in their ear. So you've got to remember that. And that's something that, you know, no matter when we're trying to help break someone, just respect someone's career and show what they've done, et cetera, that's the really important thing to remember in any context we're putting them in. Um, it's a lot of responsibility, making sure the right people are represented. Mm-hmm. There's so many people that deserve to be in a show like this mm-hmm. that we honestly just don't have the room for, sure. or they might not have fit the narrative of something we were doing, but some of my favorite artists that I'm not gonna name names didn't make it in this show, although they're deserving. The narrative just wasn't as fitting to what's what. When you sit in a room like this, there's a lot of conversation going on between the artists. All of the artists are excited to be in here. They're all fans of each other and know what's going on. So unless I could create that narrative throughout the space or in that little section, people didn't fit in. Um, But yeah, it's a lot of responsibility of figuring out who's who, who's what, and why people should be shown in different ways. Has anybody threatened you? I mean, it, it is a subversive movement of subversive people have you had like actual physical oh absolutely okay. I, I figured you must have we've had lots of threats sure um lots of nastiness but again it proves that those people that are saying and or doing those things don't deserve and are not grown up enough no matter how old they are to have their work presented in this manner because you don't know what they'll do they can't even treat what was done with respect. I, I will say there's been very few haters, we can call them, mm. and a bunch of them, once they've come into the show, have publicly apologized on social media, sent me a note or something of that manner saying, I understand the scope of the show now, why everything's in there, you did great, I'm telling all my friends to come. Oh, that must be really heartening because you're not doing anything as a personal attack. And so to get that personal feedback, it just doesn't seem justified. And what you just said about 
people being upset if they've been working for a really long time and just feel like they should be included, that it makes me think of something that you said earlier about graffiti writers. And if you haven't been putting up your tag for X number of, of years, then you don't have respect. And Justin and I have talked about that too. And I think it's so interesting because you guys come from a similar background, but I come from a very different one. And within art history, historians don't care how long you've been working. They care about the quality of the work that you've produced. And so I think that's a really fascinating point of departure between maybe something that's mainstream and then something that's more marginal. And it's not like one is right and the other isn't, but it's just important to be able to recognize these differences, that time and duration really matters in graffiti art. And it doesn't mm -hmm. necessarily in academic. Time and duration matter so much. Uh, a way I often explain it is you're interested in collecting stamps. You never did it. You're 30 <laughs> years old. Your uncle died. He's worth a billion dollars. You inherit half of it. Six months later, you have a ridiculous stamp collection because <laughs> you were able to go out and buy everything up. No one in the stamp collecting community respects you because you just instantly bought your way into the culture. Mm. You didn't right. dig things up. You didn't make a flea market find. You didn't make a this find. You didn't discover something. All you did was buy the way into the culture with your money and you could outbid people, you could be bossy, you could do whatever you want. In this world, it's very, very similar. I was on the United States Stamp Committee for four, I was for waiting four for years. That. Yeah, <laughs> yeah I, was, I, was, uh, I was one of the committee members responsible for choosing America's stamps for four years. So it's interesting that you use that analogy. Oh, I like that. Yeah, it's, it's, it, it was really cool. And I actually... Just got, uh, before I left, I got the first ever hip hop stamp uh, approved that I wrote the CPA for, the creative work program for. Am I not even allowed to say that? I don't even I think don't know. I'm allowed what is to it? divulge that. The, you did nothing. Yeah, I said nothing. <laughs> I did nothing. Take that out, Manny. Um, so, outside of the scope of street art, because clearly you are an expert by association, by the fact that you're a vanguard of the movement, what other artist? I'm so curious about historically what other artists you love. Not what's on your walls, because I know that oftentimes has to do with what goes with my couch. It's a little bit more of an interior. You know what I mean? It's true. But what other artists do you love? As far as some of my favorite artists mm -hmm. right now, um, you know, Richard Coleman has been one of my favorite artists for a long time. I'm totally biased because I grew up with him and watched the work go. Um, you know, we have a lot of that in the house. Um, all of these answers are going to sound biased because it's just people I'm, you know, thankfully for the most part worked with and, you know, admire the work. I, you know, I have a bunch of great Cleon Peterson work in the house. That's great. Uh, some of the things I've been collecting, though, to take a little spin off your answer or spin from your answer, the last several years is ephemera. Um, I've been loving the more and more ephemera I can find from an old photo from a new story from 1972 mm -hmm. to old spray paint ads um, to old hip hop and punk rock flyers. Uh, you walked in that record store we built. Incredible. Things like that. The ephemera, while the art is incredible, I can always get the art. I might not be able to own the art, but I can always get a loan of the art. I can always figure out what the art is. We can always do something with the art. The ephemera, I feel, is harder and harder to find, is disappearing more and more, is getting lost when someone's parents you know, pass away and the boxes get thrown away. So the ephemera, the photos, and the pieces that help tell the story and create the color are been so much more important to me to collect and view 
Martha Cooper, I have a huge photo of the cops hanging in the living room next to a big display of Kilroy was here next to a big display of vintage Kansas spray paint. You know, to me, mm. that's what I, I get excited to continue looking at. Like, instead of seeing a big mural, I want to see a bunch of uh, fire extinguisher tags. Yeah, it's detritus mm. from life. It just feels so much more raw and truthful. I've been collecting Chicago gang patches and gang cards recently. That's you know? cool. Awesome. You know, I'm really uh, in a uh, crap load of uh, Chicago house flyers. I don't like Chicago house music, but I love the culture <laughs> and what it was, and I love the graphics. The flyers are hard to find. They're interesting. They tell time. Mm-hmm. I've been collecting this. Now, what do you think of the contemporary street scene? Maybe the people who have been inspired by the work of the people that you're exhibiting in the show. I mean, what's going on on the street Yeah, exactly. Currently? What's going on now? Yeah, what's going on the now? New, the current generation. There's a lot going on out mm-hmm. there. And honestly, I wish I could name five names of artists that um, I have my eye on. Okay, name three. There's a few <laughs> I have my eye on. Okay, see? I, <laughs> it just happened. But I don't want to name them. Um, Two of them. I've learned naming them a lot of times is bad. Um, oh, it's a good thing because you're giving them shine. You're giving them exposure. You're, you're putting them on a, on a pedestal. But... I'm also then going to get hated on by a bunch that I didn't name. So it's easier not to name them. I totally get um, that. You know, there's know. definitely some people I'm watching. Um, the streets are really so crowded mm-hmm. with work yep. um, that it's the stain power I want to see. And again, the ego, the bigger, the better, the wittier, mm-hmm. and continuing to see it appear. Um, if I start quickly seeing legal murals from the artists, mm-hmm. I'm less and less interested. Interesting. Um, if all I see is a crap load of legal murals, cool. I'm looking at you as a muralist. You're great. But if I quickly see some illegal stuff and then six months or a year later, all I see is legal stuff, I've instantly lost interest in you as an artist. Um, you might be creating great work and I'm not knocking you. Mm-hmm. But I'd rather work with someone like Ben Jones behind me, who's incredible, whose work I love, who will tell you, you know, it was not about graffiti um, and how great he was on the street. Of course, he was painting some graffiti and having fun painting graffiti. He'll still paint murals. He'll still paint graffiti. But graffiti inspired him and continued to inspire him to be an artist. I think I've seen more now than I ever have in the past that there are so many hobbyists and I think that there's room. Exactly. Yeah, and there's room in this conversation for everybody because I think the talent rises to the top, and it's such a collective movement or a collective energy that we can discuss everybody. It's not like talking about a hobbyist diminishes somebody who's more authentic. But for you as a curator, that must be hard to sift through, and you you must just want to kind of sit back and take your time and see what happens in a couple of years. Absolutely, and uh, hobbyist is a perfect word for it. I almost feel bad when I say that word because I don't want to knock people for being out making art. You have a full-time job and you can make art in the evenings on the weekends. Like, awesome, make it. Like, I applaud you and you should do that. You should keep doing it. And I hope all these things are inspiring you. I hope going around seeing someone in all their legal murals, only a little bit of illegal work is inspiring you to keep doing it. But exactly as a curator, I have to be very cautious of who we show, how we show, and why because I'm putting it in a much bigger context for everyone to see. If I'm hanging your paintings next to Futura 2000, I have to make sure 
you are the right artist and in that context. And I'm not just going to go read your bio next week. And all of a sudden it says, what's beyond the streets hanging next to future or 2000, because that's not about the artist. That's about a show you were in and about another artist that you were hanging next to. We want the artist to be able to stand on their own and their stories to be their own stories. So you've heard it firsthand guys beyond the streets, main street, 1667 North main street, Come down, check it out. Roger, how long is the show going to? We're here till July 6th. Uh, you can check the website for times and hours, beyondthestreets.com. Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday, 12 to 7 usually, give or take. So make sure you check it. So it, we're, Oh, wait, no. I have a very important last question. Yes. What do you think of Tommy John underwear? <laughs> <laughs> He's our sponsor for the show. So if anyone is interested, enter in Art Attack as your promo code and definitely check out the show. It would be a missed opportunity not to. And it's really been... Such a pleasure. You are a tour de force, and I can't wait to see all of the other exhibits that you mount. I think that you're a really special voice and a special eye in this field, and we're lucky to have you. Thank you both. He is the Leo Castelli Gagosian, <laughs> paving the way for the next generation of urban art. This is awesome. Thanks.